I am Jen Cameron, and you are listening to the Power of You podcast, proudly sponsored by Balanced Reformer Pilates Studio, which is based right beside Aldi in Clane, County Kildare. Reformer Pilates is fabulous for both your body and your mind. Please check out at Balance Reformer on Instagram for further information. Hello and welcome back to the Power View podcast. Today I am joined by psychosexual therapist and relationship specialist Aoife Drury. Aoife, you're very welcome on the podcast. Thank you, Jen. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Oh, fabulous. Mm-hmm. Aoife, can you tell me a little bit about psychosexual therapy? Mm. So psychosexual therapy is kind of a specialist form of psychotherapy in the sense that we look at a specific aspect of your life and that aspect is our sexual selves. So that's, um, you know, the the sexual identity, perhaps, um, sexual challenges or sexual selves, how there's perhaps issues or difficulties happening in our lives is normally a bit of the conversations that I have with people and and why people reach out to me. So we may um, use terms like sexual dysfunctions. It's not a term I'm necessarily comfortable with, Um, uh, but uh, things like erectile dysfunction, premature ejaculation, delayed ejaculation, pelvic pain, such as vaginismus, um, dyspareunia, um there's another form called endodyspareunia, which is is a form of um a pain on an anal penetration which is a growing issue actually mm-hmm. um and um yeah and and then also things like relationships too and and how things like desire discrepancy might play an issue so differences of of desire or libido um between couples and also things like um challenges with IVF or um, infidelity and mm. all of these little life challenges that actually end up impacting how we feel about ourselves and about our relationships in regards to sex. Yeah, so powerful, so interesting, mm. and just so relatable. I imagine so many people on so many levels. Yeah, and and I think one of the things you had said to me before we'd started was that people don't really need, don't really tend to know about it. Um, and I think that's something that's really prevalent in this country is a big challenge that we still have is around sex education and receiving really science-based, multifaceted, um, and even pleasure-focused or um, just thorough education that allows us to have more information and then understand our bodies our sex lives so much better and then we would be able to just know that we need support in these specific areas and know that there's help out there yeah and that it's okay like that there's no shame there's no worry around any of this that like open honest conversations can be had to help Absolutely. And that there are resources here and that there are people um, like myself who are doing this work um, in order to, to kind of help create that space. Um, and I think it's it's about normalizing, not nor- necessarily we don't want to normalize sexual pain or ne- normalize sexual issues, but we want to normalize that it's okay and safe to talk to to people about sex, because I think so often 
and Jen, you talk about shame and the impact of it mm-hmm. on ourselves is, is I think that's amplified when we talk about sex because it's it's perceived as this in the bedroom thing that we mm-hmm. don't talk about. And and of course, as as a country who who has had and carried a lot of shame in in many ways, um, I think it's it is kind of spotlit when it comes to sexual experiences. Yeah, definitely. And how do you then work with couples around mm. these issues or what would people expect I suppose if they came to meet you for a meeting mm. so it depends on um if people come to me individually or if people come to me as a couple um so people come to me individually and they may be struggling with an issue that they perhaps have had a conversation with their GP about or maybe they've had a referral to a gynecologist, an endocrinologist, a urologist, mm. and the urologist has said, or any of those professions have said, ooh, you know, either we need, you need extra help um, uh, or this isn't actually physiological it's it's more psychological in which case we would they would maybe refer you to to a therapist mm-hmm. um and so we kind of try and on the first appointment just understand what's been happening for that person what um their experiences have been um what it's like with the struggles that they're um they're dealing with mm-hmm. and then i suppose the other thing is, which is just normal psychotherapy components, is looking at childhood experiences, relationship dynamics in the household, um, any trauma or distress that was experienced growing up. Um, but what I always think about is we we give a little focus. You know, there's like a little lens, um, that that's kind of. Uh, focusing on our sex lives, our sexual development, sexual experiences, um, and how those have developed over time. So although we look generally, then we kind of just filter it in or, or yeah, filter it down mm. into more of a specific sexual experience. So that would be a, an individual. And if a couple came, we would look at that um individually mm-hmm. and then we'd also look at how the relationship developed over time and how uh maybe struggles started or why they might have started um and what has been happening in their um their lifespan of the relationship yeah yeah so it's just there's so many facets isn't there like it's so mm. interesting yeah as a whole and i suppose how people can end up needing to look at supports around these issues say predominantly say if you're looking at your you say for instance you're married for like 20 years and you're kind of saying okay libido's not great uh maybe um maybe there's been a betrayal or you know mm. maybe something's happened within the mm. marriage and maybe people are coming to, sit to you maybe to say okay we want to try and work on this but I just no longer desire that person you know or and is it around the betrayal or is it around, you know, the low libido or does that itself combine? I mean, I suppose, would you find that you see couples in that nature, maybe like hypothetically, but just around the long term relationship and when issues are happening on that level? Yeah. And I think you've made such good points there around how life experiences, stressors, particularly changes uh, whether there's children whether there's bereavement whether there's betrayal whether there's 
uh, job losses, those general stuff that do impact how we feel about ourselves, how we feel in our bodies, um, how we feel about the other partner, mm. um, and how that work could just generally impact our, our life and sex becomes the bottom of that pile of priorities. Yeah. So common. Um, yeah. And particularly as, as we've kind of become really uh, built into habits with each other. Yeah. And it's, it's easy to kind of drift apart. Mm. Um, and things like this um, attraction might be, uh, might be a struggle. It's often a struggle I hear in long, long-term relationships. Yeah. Yeah. And I find that like a lot of females who tend to say to me, excuse me, <laughs> that they find their libido goes quicker. They lose the desire really to be romantic sometimes in long term relationships. And sometimes they can't pinpoint why. But it's mm -hmm. just a case of like you said, I think for someone I'm looking couples that I see, it can be around just no longer prioritizing intimacy as an issue or feeling the distance is in maybe they don't even kind of hold hands or like you know be affectionate or kind of kiss each other or you know it's like all of that stuff maybe goes but then when like intimacy sex goes sometimes they can feel like god we're so distant but how did this happen yeah absolutely and that's i think invaluable is that it's not just sex that tends to be outside the bedroom so it's like affection Absolutely. and all of these things kind of started to, to play out and it's those like the the Gottmans talk about mm. um uh turning away from each other rather yeah. than turning towards and this whole like I talk about this huge elephant in the bedroom yeah and and it becomes awkward and uncomfortable and and it feels like where do we even start yeah. like how can we start it's, it's just we don't even hold hands or kiss anymore how the hell are we gonna have sex absolutely and sometimes i feel it's women that get more kind of caught up in that piece whereas the male clients that i see with their partners their wives are sometimes more like well, I don't mind if we don't have any other affection, but I want us to have sex. Mm, and I think yeah. that's always interesting. Yeah. You know, because generally I find for women, you know, they need that emotional intimacy to kind of want to be intimate then or have affection within their relationship and their life. Where sometimes men can predominantly just focus on actual sex and think of that as a, the functional need. Yeah. And that's the, the kind of be all and end all when we actually have to look at sometimes the um the instigation um or the like initiating of sex isn't that tap on the shoulder or <laughs> slap on the bum when yeah. actually a lot of people and it is i think particularly cisgendered women or hetero women is that it's it requires emotion mm. and attentiveness and um and being heard, being seen, being recognized, being validated, all of these things actually facilitate desire. But if that's not happening, it almost becomes this really unattainable experience. Sex becomes this unattainable thing because we're not cultivating desire in each other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so it's almost like these, these love languages around sex kind of have to be tapped into. Definitely. Yeah. And acknowledged and recognized, isn't it? I, I listened to a podcast recently and um, Diary of a CEO, you know, Stephen Bartlett. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm just obsessed with his podcast. I just yeah. find every single one fascinating. Yeah. Um, 
and this is awful because I can't remember who it actually was that said this, but he, he, they were talking about intimacy and he said, mm-hmm. he said that when he was younger, he used to feel like, you know, men's view and women's view at the time he was feeling if a girl or a woman didn't want to have sex, it was like, oh, she's just not interested in sex. So I'll dump her because, you know, that's all I'm interested in. And I suppose he's shown the human nature piece around this in a way. Mm. And then he said, but what he experienced as he got older was that overall women were sharing the response that they feel like sex was something that was done to them and not something that they were enjoying or that were really a part of. Totally. And that just really stuck with me. I thought, my God, if I lined up 100 women here right now, I think a huge percentage would feel that. Yeah. yeah. And you're kind of tapping in something I'm so passionate about, mm. which is what we call the, the, the pleasure gap or the orgasm gap, yes. which is just another gender discrepancy, just like the, the pay gap. And, and part of that originates in um, the, the lack of sex education surrounding pleasure. Mm. Um, and that could be even as simple as anatomy and, and physiology of not of uh, young people not being taught the difference between a vulva and a vagina Absolutely. or where the clitoris is. Or there's this kind of golden myth around the G-spot when we know that the G-spot is we sex educators perhaps know yeah. that it's that it's the back of the clitoris, but it's this elusive thing that we need to attain and most of us don't have it. We know that 85% of women don't climax through intercourse alone. And actually only 4% do. And still there's a question going, well, that's probably the back of the clitoris. It's a G-spot. So, you know, but there's also aspects around how women perceive sex as being, and as ending when men ejaculate. Mm. So when we look at the research in, in terms of uh, women who have sex with women, lesbian women, um, bisexual women, those women who are having sex with women have a really high enjoyable sexual experiences, sexual experiences because there's still this gap that we have between men and women. And if we started with things like sex education yeah. and actually teaching uh, the anatomy, physiology, the biology, as uh, the basics, but also the pleasurable components, yeah. such as uh, masturbation and, and it being healthy, yeah, um, and good and positive, and and a learning experience of your body and cultivating that. Then we get people, women, more empowered, and we get men to understand that actually the primary goal should not be penetrative sex. Yeah. That it's it, that sex it's is much it's it's a buffet and women the same sorry it's a buffet yeah. rather than this main course which yeah. only lands four percent with orgasms absolutely of women yeah. yeah yeah and I suppose it highlights though that like you said the big gap though doesn't it I mean it highlights really how much there is to learn and how much change needs to happen still and I mean I know Jenny Kane is doing an incredible job at the minute like really vocalizing a lot um around pleasure and everything um but it's still it's just it's the start of a movement I think isn't it it's we're still in a very early early space we're still in the early space and I think what I find really interesting is with Jenny, like not yes, in terms of what Jenny's doing, but more um, in terms of 
there's a like I don't I wonder about how many of her followers are from Ireland because it's great that she's got this Instagram, you know, account. So I'd be curious, I'd be like, how many of these, because mm. how we need to integrate into this into schools. Of course, Jenny Kane's uh, particularly doing, um, you know, thinking about the the sex toy show, like that's going to be brilliant because that's going to be very Irish based. Yes. Um, and, and, but also I'm really um, hoping that there's a lot more Irish women who are following and doing her workshops um, and also that there is an aspect of where you can hide behind Instagram where we really need uh, things like Jenny's mm-hmm. sex toy uh, sex yeah. toy show yeah um, in a room full of women so we're, mm-hmm. we're we're unveiling we're unshrouding the shame yeah. because there's there's just still this real I think um layer of a uh, almost hiding that we're still doing in this country mm-hmm. in talking about sex so we've got people like Caroline West who's doing a really amazing job or or um uh, uh Shauna as well from mm-hmm. sexual sexual Shauna Scott you know there's, there's Grace Alice who's doing loads of work as well and I think that needs to just keep happening within this country alongside like the Jenny Jenny Kane and, and everybody else it's like we need to just keep talking about it and keep shouting about it and and mm-hmm. keep creating pathways for people to access good quality sex education that has pleasure particularly women yeah absolutely and like the other side for men isn't it too i mean i think men really are aware you know when women aren't completely like happy or satisfied Mm -hmm. with their sex life and that impacts them as well and Mm -hmm. the dynamic of the relationship Mm -hmm. if it's you know man and woman and i think that it's important that they're educated like you said as well like from secondary school like both like men and women boys girls from secondary school you know should be learning and have a space where they can really understand all of this information in order to have more fulfilling relationships when they're older yeah and it's exactly like the pleasure gap is something that if men learn about that too they're going to have better sex lives because their partners will be happy. You know, if they're in straight relationships, their partners are going to be happier and it's going to be far more fulfilling. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, there isn't enough um, men out there I think, talking about sex in Ireland, um, mm. apart from maybe Richie Sadler, who wrote a book, which is, is great uh, for young boys. But there really needs to be more space um, yeah. for men to, to learn to and understand and young boys to understand too. Um, but... Mm. We've, we've a long way to go is <laughs> what I'm basically saying yeah but we're moving we're moving okay. and people like yourself like Eva what like what brought you into this specialty or what was your draw if you don't mind me asking I mean if you do it's no problem <laughs> but what, <laughs> just what was your you know what kind of got you into that you know this area of expertise yeah I think it started with um so I mean I think personally it was probably coming from quite a, a conservative background, uh, a very typical um, Irish Catholic background um, that uh, was was very much the narrative of, of um, waiting until marriage and um, masturbation being uh, not encouraged or, you know, not discouraged either, but um, there, there wasn't. It was kind of a curiosity, I suppose, from from a young age. So 
but academically or, or professionally, I had a very strange route um, from psychiatric nursing. I had a very in keen interest around um, sexual assault okay. and perpetration of um, sexual assault um, or abuse. And I was doing a diploma in afterward or no, during my, my bachelor's in forensic psychology, criminology, and um, mm. I thought, oh, I'll go over to the UK and do that. There were no jobs in nursing when, when I qualified, um, believe it or not, which is, I think, crazy if we think yeah. about years before then. Um, and so, and then I um, was offered a master's in war and psychiatry in the UK, and I thought, well, I'm going to I'm going to do that with with the idea of of looking at war crimes and um, yeah. and which I did a bit on uh, in in terms of sex and uh, sexual assault and um, rape. Wow. Um, and I then did psychotherapy and I then did psychosexual therapy um, and diploma and it was kind of a strange route. I just couldn't quite find my feet yeah. and, and I found myself more interested in things that weren't really talked about. That's what I love. I love yeah. talking about that aren't talk, being talked about enough um, and um, which, is, which is, you know, helpful and not so helpful i'm sure to my family yeah. <laughs> my mom just kept calling me a relationship therapist for a while she was like oh god the word sex is a bit too much yeah. um, but uh so pushing back on taboos so that was yeah. kind of my journey and then now i'm doing a, a a doctorate in psychotherapy focusing on um chemsex which is the use of psychoactive substances with men who have sex with men um wow. for a sexual pleasure yeah Wow. So interesting. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting, even when you said there, you know, that you, you were kind of drawn, you know, couldn't find your feet for a while, but yet actually all of your areas of work have all centered in ways around sex, isn't it? An interest. So there is a common thread, I suppose. It's just on different mm -hmm. levels. And maybe it's the absolute curiosity and pushing the bounds and having that, like, that's what it sounds like. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I think it is. It's something that I'm really interested in kind of pushing back and mm -hmm. um on, on kind of cultural norms um and expectations that I think sometimes we just take for granted that we just do we just go along with what, what we're supposed to be doing yeah um and I find that quite interesting yet again I mean being in the UK for 10 years and I moved back before um COVID yeah is a lot of societal norms that are here that are um are just yeah accepted um and that being around relationships um mm. and young people's belief that they have to marry and have kids have these careers and there's um there's kind of shame or guilt if if things aren't quite working out it's something i don't know if you hear about that jen in, mm. in your clinic room but i definitely hear it um and then of course you know sex so I'm not having enough sex or I haven't had sex yet or I haven't kissed somebody or my sexual experience is very late. Mm -hmm. um, and and that being or, you know, even exploring my sexuality. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that that comes with a, a, a country that has a small population, a low population, too. Yeah. And really being that voice. Like, I think that's lovely. You're really being that voice, uh, a representative of this space for people. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of good voices out there, like the people mm. I named earlier, you named, you know, around January mm. and um, mm. 
Caroline, you know, people are doing a lot of work um, to, to, to deconstruct those narratives yeah. and, and challenge them. Um, I mean, I was in um, DCU lecturing in, in uh, when the health and social care third years. So, you know, they're young enough and, yeah. um, and it was just so sad to hear that there were like two or three in a class of 50 who had sex education in school and um, which was only biology mm. yeah like it was just the it was just biology so there, there is still space that's needed i think mm. oh definitely and like you said i mean it's a collective but it's everyone who's doing their piece that's making it more known and understood mm. yeah, yeah. Yeah. And just when you said there actually about relationships, you know, people coming in, it's it's interesting. I found that lately, uh, well, kind of through COVID, actually, a lot mm. of people I was meeting, women in particular, like in their, you know, late 20s, maybe early 30s who are single, um, were really struggling with the idea of, well, one, their age, two, meeting somebody, um, but three, not having any kind of traditional space to do that. As yes, in, if, if, if I just meet somebody online, you know, or on Tinder or on Bumble or any of these sites, they're like, is that really weird and wrong? Like, I can't get my head around the idea of just going to meeting them and having sex. It's different than if I'm out or in a nightclub or want to mm. be with somebody or, and it was just a big conversation I found around all of that and some of it was shame some of it's historic stuff you know just the expectation and how you meet people you know everything's so different yeah 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 I think there's something kind of invalidating or belief that it's invalidating by meeting people or developing relationships from my from finding people on on tinder and yeah. um, that that's that's not kind of acceptable um if you want to change the story yeah <laughs> yeah and yet at the minute the narrative i feel is that that's most places where people are meeting people if yeah they're single right now and actually i've had a couple of people who have met um either through tinder or one of them you know mm. yes but who have actually gone on to get married and mm. you know have had very healthy and good relationships to date you know so it's um I just I suppose what I'm saying is we're culturally moving away from things that we knew before you know or the yeah. idea of meeting people out uh, or just through friends or just through social you know all that's kind of changed and maybe faster through COVID but I think we're yeah. also trying to catch up on that and that plays a part in intimacy in a relationship then. Uh, yeah absolutely and and how we define intimacy and how it's shifting Mm. Um, and I think that's something, you know, thinking back to um, our. Thank you for listening and to my inspirational guest for joining me this week. Please check out Jen underscore Cameron underscore on Instagram for more information, along with www.jencameron.org for access to my ebooks, recorded workshops, and therapy contact list. Remember to join us next time for more inspiration, empowering you to be the best version of yourself.